And looking back, those were not age appropriate. <laughs> we were watching <laughs> Godfather at 13. Uh, the, the violence and sex, probably they don't understand, you know, the rating systems very well. They were very eager to expose us to as much content as possible, basically engraved in our brain how to understand the world issues. Hey guys, welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm Timothy Maurice. What a pleasure and a delight it is to bring you the story of Mei Shi and take you into her mind and reveal how she built a multi-million dollar business from nothing. I'm super grateful you chose to download this episode. Please do leave a comment on whichever platform you're listening. And also remember you can reach out to me for talks on how to apply neuroscience and behavioral psychology to your leadership and personal branding challenges. TMW at TimothyMaurice.com As we dive into the brain of today's extraordinary guest, I want you to pay close attention to how she uses the behavioral and neuroscience principles that we speak about on this show weekly and merges her passion for style into candle making and also how she uses inclusive thinking to build a powerful business and how life at the end of the day can throw you a curveball and catapult you into a new direction, a direction of even more purpose. May is the founder and CEO of two global companies, the e-commerce platform, YesSheMay.com, where she helps female entrepreneurs scale, and she's the author of Burn, How Grit, Innovation, and a Dash of Luck Ignited a Multi-Million Dollar Success Story. Meet May She. Enjoy. May She, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for inviting me. You open up your extraordinary book saying to your parents that this is as much your story as it is mine. Please elaborate. Um, my parents grew up in the China where individuality and their dreams are kind of combined and mashed with that of the country and that of the leaders. I don't know if they ever wondered how they would have choose to live and choose to work if they were given a chance. So I felt that when they sent me to the boarding school when I was 12 to be trained as a diplomat, they allowed their dreams to follow me and allowed me to sort of explore on their behalf. So it is really for them that I have my great uh, experiences in life. And I think I carry them with me because of that. Well, we're going to explore so much of your story, but we're going to go into your brain. We're going to go into your mind and we're going to look at the journey between China and Maryland. I mean, you studied at the University of Maryland. You, you know, you've got this background in journalism. You were trained as a diplomat. And so we're going to go quite deep. You know, when you mentioned being trained as a diplomat, Take us back, you know, because for me, that is absolutely fascinating. You know, take us back into some of the early mindset things that they were teaching you, because being a diplomat is you're a representative of a country. You are physically an ambassador of a value system. Take us a little bit in what you learned long before you studied journalism. Well, I think very much the first thing is about understanding a culture very deeply. Um, China was very close to the world 
up until 1974, when President Nixon visited China and signals a new era between the relations of a foreign country and China. Since then,、uh, China has lost Chairman Mao, who has had a very strong control, and who has insisted on a very isolated. Uh, sort of way of engagement、uh, with the world, not not just because of him. I think the world also come to the conclusion is、um, is better to leave them、uh, by themselves.、Um, so in 1979, the country has opened to the world, and they recognize that they don't really have、uh, career diplomats that speak languages well enough to truly、uh, represent China, like you said, and appreciate. What other side of the negotiation table can bring to them? So they decided, rather than、um, you know waiting until graduate school or university to teach about diplomacy, it's actually very important to teach children a foreign language, not just in any way, but in emergent manner. So they set up eight middle schools and high schools in different part of China, so that students can be enrolled. As young as twelve, to study what is needed to become a diplomat. Obviously, foreign language is very important. You also want them to learn a, a lot about history because, if anything, history predicts the future and explains the tensions as well as the opportunities. So, we were twelve. I remember、um, in 1979, my mom and dad decided that I would be a good candidate to study foreign. Study and between、uh, you know different countries, I would be uh, uh, suitable for that kind of career. Obviously, when you send your child away at twelve, it's a big sacrifice. Yes, I was not completely living、um, seven days off、uh, the home, but it was six days a week. I was、uh, away from home. We were in the same city. We just cannot go back home because they want us to understand. How to use foreign language in an emerging manner. So our teachers will teach a lot of the content in the language, which, as you can imagine, is very challenging. But the emerging way of training in a foreign language is one of the best way because foreign language is not just a subject; it's really a living thing. So if you can use it, it helps you to gain a lot more context, gain a lot more、um, usage. And it really helps to master the language. So we were very impressed that we had not only Chinese teachers; we also have teachers from all over the world that speaks English as a foreign language, no, as a first language, as a mother tongue. And we were using an American textbook of all textbooks,、um, setting us up to really be very competitive and、um, able. To really understand what the global environment is like, I remember we were also watching a lot of movies. We were watching movies like Godfather, Kramer versus Kramers, Out of Africa, and looking back, those were not age appropriate. <laughs> we were watching <laughs> Godfather at thirteen.、Uh, the, the violence, the sex—probably they don't understand, you know, the rating systems very well. They were very eager to expose us to as much content as possible. Uh, sometimes, probably, also very eager to sort of showcase the, the cool and the pop culture, so that gradually we understand the content, right? The context of the language, as well as the politics of the language. 
As you can imagine, you were asking me, how do you prepare to be a diplomat? In addition to language, a lot of it is uh, current affairs. Those area I did not really learn until university level. I have to say, it's、oh, wow. really at、yeah. the school and high school level. It's more culture, more history, and a lot more art. So we learn about you know the, the history of Europe, the history of Africa, the history of you know America, and what are the wars like. In here, but what's interesting is a lot of them are in English, so it already set us up for basically engraved in our brain how to understand the world issues with that language in mind. So after I graduated there, I was able to go to study continuously for diplomacy at U- the university that's focused on that. It's called Beijing Foreign Studies University. It's one of the top universities for foreign language and、uh, diplomacy. I believe right now they offer more than 160 languages. Oh wow! 160 languages that are being spoken in the world, including a lot of African languages. And in return, we also have a lot of students from those countries that are hoping to learn Chinese. So the campus is not that big, but it's one of the most active,、uh, you know, institutions to promote foreign exchange, cultural exchange, and diplomacy. So I was there for four years, but you can imagine as one of the few students that have already a six-year, very intense boarding program. I was a little bit more advanced than the average、uh, first-year college students coming from、mm. learning language one maybe one hour a day versus the five eight hours of intensive. <laughs> so I have a professor who's an exchange teacher from Dartmouth College. And she said, "May you look like you are a little bored at class." My husband is now setting up the offices in the World Bank and UNDP, United Nations Development Bank program. Why don't you help them with some of the translation work? Because we have missions coming in from all over the world. They all speak English, with some accent for some. Some are native speakers, and then they have to deal with the Chinese、uh, officials and the recipient population. And there was no one speaking each other's languages.、So、but I have I said, to ask you quickly. But I have to ask you quickly. Were you bored? Were you in fact bored? Oh, I was very bored. Yes, because <laughs> it's the same, it's the same、uh, novels. I have to be reading again. You know, it's some of the best books. You know, that out out of out of all the best books you have to read, I've read so much, and it's、mm. the same movies now. I'm watching again. And the same papers that we're writing about Western philosophy or, you know, Renaissance art, and I just really feel repeating some of the content.、Um, I get for, okay for the sake of repeating it, right?、Okay. And the key thing is I can nail the exams without studying much at that time.、Mm. So she really wants me to have more confidence in what I'm doing. And more feel of what it is actually like working in an international organization. I think she meant very well, so、okay. I did. I agree with her. And who wouldn't? You know, most of the kids were already, you know, so impressed with Beijing, and、um, who wouldn't want to travel and take on more responsibilities? So I did. And ever since then, I become very much、um, a sort of. Uh, translator, but also a bridge. I find myself always a bridge. I play that role very well, and I would be speaking 
in Chinese about what the mission experts want. And some of them are expert for water. Some of them, you know, come as engineers for water dance. And I will translate back for the community. Um, I really enjoy that international environment. You know, like you mentioned, I have, you know, experts from Denmark. They speak with a very strong accent. I have someone yeah. from Thailand. They have their own accent. And I need to understand because it's one thing, you know, you learn English. It's another. Now you have to hear everyone's accent and why, you know, they speak in a certain way. And also... Well, give us a tip. So please give us a quick tip. What is one thing we can do to pick up other people's accents? I mean, I'm here based in a country with the 13 official languages. If you're trying to engage someone for the different, with a different accent, what is a quick tip? I think the vowels, the, 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 the way they pronounce vowels are very telling. So my husband um, cannot pronounce the word almost. He's Italian. He would always pronounce it that, you know, it's an almost, not almost. Oh. Because of the A pronounced in Latin is a little different. Either it's shorter or it's not almost. And it's almost. You see, there's a A-L-M-O-S-T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for him, it's almost almost. For me, it's almost. So when he say almost on, on, the, on the phone, sometimes people don't understand him. So I, see. I think the vowels in general are very challenging. Um, okay. They look very similar, but the way they pronounce it are not. So you end up become more confusing to other people. And certain cultures or languages, they don't have certain sound. Like the Chinese don't have TH. So the three... Mm and thoughts, thinking are very hard for them, particularly Northern uh, Chinese. They don't, there was a sinking thoughts because the F, the F is very hard for them. Uh, they don't know I how to it. do it. So <laughs> it's really, um, the more people you work with, the more you can, I can hear North, Northern Europeans away from the French and Italians. I can definitely, you know, the accent of English between the different, among the different countries of Britain, you know, Australia, Canada are very different, right? Even within okay. a country, people in Minneapolis speak very different English than here and still very different than Tennessee. So I love the vowels and I love the intonation because linguistically speaking, you can't get rid of them very easily. You will always carry them with you. Got it. I mean, you were sharing the story about, you know, once you were you know, outside of your experience in the World Bank and outside of your experience with UNDP and helping people tr translate in your business, you know, you've had a lot of experience with people, yeah. understanding people from different cultures, understanding people from different backgrounds. How much did this contribute to your success as an entrepreneur? I think it has a lot. I haven't thought about that before, Tim. You're the first one that brought it up because I always invite a diverse group of people. Um, when I was working at Chesapeake Bay Candle, I have always 10 to 15 native tongues spo being spoken. I have people oh, from wow. Germany. Yeah, for a small 50s, you know, pe people um, headquarter, because our factory is in a different location. But in the headquarter, we have only 50. We have Vietnamese, we, we have people speaking uh, Portuguese, Spanish, Vietnamese, uh, Indi, um, and even in Europe, we have Germans, we have Russians, um, 
So I, French, uh, our fragrance um, manager at that time, Ophelia is from France. So we just seem to thrive in a mini United Nations environment because people also attract that like-minded people, right? Mm, when they see, mm. when they come to interview that you have that kind of culture, it attracts them. And then more and more we become diverse. So I didn't try to build it that way, but I realized it really had to do with my working in the, my first job at the World Bank, having that diverse by, by yeah. design, right? Because it's United Nations Development Program. So you have all these experts from all over the world. Uh, I remember for a while, my boss was Israeli and he used to work uh, as a minister for irrigation. And then he became the chief for that office for UNDP in Singapore. So he's from Israel, Israeli. And then there's others from a different part of, uh, um, I remember having people from Singapore, from uh, Indonesia. It, it is such a interesting diversity that um, working with them sort of painted my, my world for me as, a, as I started to embrace um, you know, my own career. And because yeah. I mean, as a diplomat, I always have this mindset. That's kind of what I'm going to deal with. So I, rather than say no, I kind of embrace them. And it probably yeah. helped me a lot. You know, Steve Jobs started Apple in his home. So many extraordinary businesses started in their home. What made you believe you could start a candle business? I think the most, one of the most fascinating things about growing a business from the home to selling it for, you know, 75 million plus is that starting in the home is almost frowned on, but so many extraordinary people started that way. What, let's take us back to your home. What made you think you could build a business? Start with but, candles. Right. Well, I think Steve Jobs and many others used the garage. Um, I used my basement, so <laughs> I can tell you why. <laughs> I literally, at that time, we started a business and um, we actually, in the first year, was able to make $500,000 of sales, which is unheard of, right? Not Wait, only from, we, from the basement. Uh, this is, well, the basement is when we actually started making the fragrance candles. Before that, okay. I was actually making, not making things, we were buying things from China. We were buying uh. things. Because I was um, working in a very non-inspiring job. The thing is that I didn't get to go to work for the World Bank because of the, uh, the, the, tr the, the war with Iraq. Uh, US, no, U.S. was fighting Iraq for Kuwait, remember, in 1991 yes, yes. or 92. And the U.S. is the sole uh, investor or founder of the World Bank. So that when U.S. go to war, they just say, we can't pay you guys this year the, the amount you want. As a result of that, there are some hiring restraints. And one of the restraints is that they, they can't really hire non-economic uh, you know, non and finance majors such as myself, right? Mm. So I then look for jobs and I find a job in New York. It's a very boring job because I'm a paper pusher. I was pushing papers <laughs> import and export and uh, applying for loans from export and import banks. So for me, I like to be on the, on the, 
on the ground. I like to be in, in the field. I like to be in the middle of the action. I don't like to push papers to get paid or apply for something. But on top of that, my ex-husband and I, who got married before we went um, from China to here, he was working in D.C. So I was literally commuting between D.C. and Maryland on the weekend and stay in New York during the week. So I was alone and I don't know many friends, but I was put in a hotel next to the Bloomingdale's, which is amazing. Yes. For someone who all her life has never been to a great store, I was put right there. I was like a bird out of the cage. So every day I would go window <laughs> shopping. <laughs> I, mm. I can't afford anything. So I would go window shopping. And I was very quick to tell, even if I haven't been to a store like that, that the first two, three floors are their best floors because obviously some people don't go all the way up, right? They would do the shopping if they have to as easy as possible. And that's where you have the fine fragrances, you have the jewelries, which I don't really understand at that time. But mm. when you go to the second floor, I understand fashion. I love fashion. And I love the Donna Karens and the Kevin Kleins that are very minimalist. It's not busy. It's very well tailored with high quality, but still very feminine. It's the tailoring yeah. that accentuates feminine, but powerful feminine. Yeah. And then you walk upstairs and those floors get more and more old fashioned until it's the top <laughs> and it's the home floor. In the 1990s, I don't know if you remember going to the home floor, but they look like your grandma's house. It's very yes. ornate, very gilded. You know, the, the, the wallpapers are very denty and very small uh, floral prints all over. The colors are heavy. Um, and you just look at them and say, why would a woman dress up in such a clean, minimalist style, but decided to go home and sleep in the grandma's house? It doesn't work. Uh, something is not, you know, I would rather see something more streamlined, minimalist, and it's so much the lifestyle, right? So I just don't see them. So every day I talk about it until one day my, my ex-husband David said, you know, you really don't like that job and you're commuting. Why don't we both quit? And we do something in the home product category and we utilize our background from China because we have witnessed at that time the growth of China's exports in the early 90s. Not just ah. in areas that's behind the scene, like such as metals and you know those um, industrial items, but really starting in the fashion area. So he said, "Let's do something. We're young. We don't have children. We don't have any mortgages. You know, we have nothing. We will, we will regret if we don't try." So that's where we started the business with products from China for home. We ask our friends who remember what all training foreign. Uh, languages, some of them decided to stay to do foreign trade with the government because the government initially sponsored all the foreign trade. So they would send us samples of fake trees, you know, those silk trees. Yes. Remember those silk trees? Or they would send us samples of things like um, cushions and pillows and throws because they're home product, right? But they also send us candles that are a small ball with design on the outside when you burn them, it looks like a stainless glass and it's called glow mm. candle. And I didn't understand candles because in China, you can imagine no one really have a candle like dinner. So I said, well, if they send it, we'll bring it to a trade show. 
let's show all of those products. So we went to a trade show. The first year we went, we quit our job. We quit our job in April of 1994. And we went back to China in the summer. And by the time we got all the product samples in, it's already September of 1994. And that's when we decided to take it to a trade show. But all the trade shows for wholesale happens in the summer when stores replenish for Christmas. It's already way too late, but we got into one show, which is the show at North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. And in that one show, it's a 10 by 10 booth. I don't know if you have been to trade shows. Your friend who does candles probably go to a lot of them. 10 by 10 feet booth. We put a table in the front and then everything that is big, like a tree in the back. In five days, the market told us what we should focus on because every single really? order has candles in them. That little candle wow. that we don't know what people use that for. And we got so encouraged. We went home, we started shipping to those orders, uh, retailers, and they reordered and they reordered. So that is basically how we decided we're going to focus on candle. But at that, that time, it's still candles that other people make. Once we grow to $500,000 at the end of that year, in just four months, I recognized that we have, a, we have a, a real possibility to grow this business. And then that's when we started experimenting with fragrances and colors. And we give the name Chesby Bay Candle. And the rest... You know- yeah, you know what I love about your story is that I'm imagining you outside of Bloomingdale's. You've got this elegant mind. You understand the world. You understand style. You've got a great style. But at the same time, you had to survive. So you start this trading um, and just sort of selling candles. But then you applied your own style, your own instinct, your own flair with Chesapeake Bay and I think this is one of the biggest lessons for entrepreneurs is that sometimes you just got to survive. And along the way, you can put your own flair to something as you start to grow. Because, like, you know, I would I, let me ask you directly. Is style one of your passions? Because, you know, the debate between do I just do this job or how do I live my passion? You know, <laughs> how do I do something that I absolutely love? You did a lot of things that you did not enjoy, uh, right. you know, but is style one of your passions? Absolutely. And I didn't know you can make a living with it until this business, uh, wow. until I feel someone has to stand for uh, a design influence that is so big in my view that it could potentially be transformative. Obviously, my uh, view of the world proved to be that it's possible. Nowadays, you know, you see all styles, right? You have a lot of contemporary style, but you also still continually see, if you want to, the classic style that is very ornate, that is yeah. the true quantum essential grandma's, you know, what's old is new again. But you yeah. see a variety. You see the voice. Before, you just don't see them. So I do feel we have come a long way, um, but it's there. It has always been there. If you look at design uh, aesthetics in Europe just, you know, at the same time, they're a little bit more advanced because they have the influence from Northern European countries. They have the Scandinavians. You, If you look at Japan, which I have a lot of influence, um, you know, I got a lot of exposure to when we were growing up in the 80s and 90s. 
Japan has that minimalist lifestyle, right? For them, less is always more. Yes, yes. Home, you know, if they if you go to their restaurant, even you can gather. They are not a country where more is more. It's really less.、Mm. It's how do you do deductions versus how do you add things. So I do feel my personal taste has always been playing a, a role in in my business. And I have the confidence at some point to say it's no longer just I have a good view or taste. How do I use that to、mm. give someone else who want to look for those things a chance to see those product? So I mean, one of the thing, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that I'm, the thing that I'm embracing about this conversation is you think about. I was th- telling a friend recently about paying attention to your patterns. So、mm-hmm. if you look at your personal patterns, being、right. exposed to the world, diverse right. mindset, right. a highly inclusive wiring,、right. your instinct for style, your your building something from scratch and believing that you could do certain things, that all of these things have kind of manifested into these patterns in you, and you're close to them, you know. But how do you continue growing in 2017 when you sold your business? Um, was it scary? Because I can imagine you spent so much time、yeah. building this. It must have been frightening. Because what happens next? You sit on this cash, and now what's next? So the first question <laughs> is: Was it scary? It's、um, you know I did not really talk about this on the on the book because I feel there are a lot of messages about this book. One of them is not about fighting cancer, but it was、yes. the reason I was discovered. To have、uh, breast cancer in late 2016, and I was going to have to go through、uh, chemotherapy and、uh, a year-long chemotherapy, actually. So it was、um, under that circumstances. I was also approached to sell the business by a private equity firm, and I said to myself, you know,、um, this is this is an opportunity, right?、Um, I may not be able to run the business the way I want to after this.、Uh, After this procedure, the surgery, and with all the chemotherapy, and even when I finish, it may it may have possibilities that I have to go back.、Mm. With that being said, I need to be responsible, and I also want to be responsible. So let me put this child to college. You know, this child is about to graduate to college anyway. Let's guide him through this process as most responsibly as possible. So rather than just agree to sell to private equity. I did a process. In fact, I was just talking to the banker who helped me. Raymond James is one of the most qualified banker in the U.S. when it's about consumer product or banking for retails. And they advised me, and we did a whole event where we invited. I I feel like maybe twenty bidders. I gave management presentation while I have no hair and had chemotherapy. It was really、wow. interesting that I was able to do all these management consulting. I mean, management meetings. I think there are ten final that we actually meet in person,、um, and it was very interesting to continually work. And then,、um, because I have two scary things happening at once. One is my、yes. treatment. One is the selling. I'm not sure which one is more scary, but what I do know is that、um, I actually survived both. And we sold it to a strategic、so、company. Yeah, the strategic company, which is、uh, Newell Brands, who owns already a candle、uh, department,
They have Yankee Candle, you ha they have Woodwick, and they have uh, another um, very high-end brand in Italy. So we become part of a, 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 a brand universe that is really one of the largest brand universe. And I feel that they're not selling the brand for sure, unlike private equity, and that's where it's the safest, right? Um, you don't want your brand to be purchased and then resold and resold. Um, do I regret sometimes? I don't know. I, I think that things happen for a reason, just like can you regret your kids going to college, even if it's not the best meet, best um, match? Um, I think in, on, on the... On the uh, on the flip side, things could go wrong. And I'm glad that um, we were able to bring it all along and nothing is missing. Yeah. You know, we didn't, we didn't miss a beat, so to speak, during my treatment. I'm so happy. You know, when I speak to survivors, courageous people, you know, if you look at your personal life and your entrepreneurial journey, it's, it's incredible how life always presents you with new challenges. You know, when you turned the page and you had gone through chemo and you sold your business, how long did it take you for you to find your next passion? Uh, what, was, what was that like? It's not very long. Um, my husband, who is a professor and write a lot of papers, told me that I should take it easy, but don't sit at home and do nothing. I think he's worried I'm going to start getting on his nerve because he's working from <laughs> home, right? Uh, he's already working from home a lot. So I started to uh, really in, enjoy going to women's event or entrepreneur event where I would be presenting how to grow businesses. And I enjoy talking to people afterwards. And I realized that my story as a woman entrepreneur is the exception. It's not the norm. Most women's business is under 1 million. It's definitely not as big as mine. And a lot of them don't ever even know who manufactured their product. You know, they have a relationship through a trader or a third party in Asia. And they are very frustrated because a lot of the pricing doesn't work or the minimum's too high. You hear those stories all the time. And they're very much crippled because they're so small. And then they can't control their supply side or can't control their design. That was the story I over and over heard. And I just feel maybe I can help them. Maybe I could be their consultant or I can invest in their business or connect them to Target, for example. I did a few of those connections trying to scale their business for them. But at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you are just trying to see what is your value add to them. And that lasted a whole year. So I didn't oh, wow. take me all very long. 2019, I was doing a lot of talking. I talked to probably more than 300 people for that year, just constantly talking about how I can help them. Should it be a back-end business where we offer services? Should we be um, investing in those business so that we, we, we have deeper relationship? So it goes on. And I did invest in uh, two or three women-only uh, venture funds. So they only invest in women's business. One of them is called Sogao, S-O-G-A-O. And another one is out of uh, Silicon Valley called Vision Fund. So they oh, are wow. very much owned and controlled by women, very young women, actually. Um, and they're all very brave. You know, they know that women on average only get very small portion of the venture funding and they are there to, to fight for it. 
you are full of vitality. You're beautiful, <laughs> smart. You you come alive, and your smile is radiant. How do you stay? I want to go inside of your brain boosting regimen. How do you stay on top of your game? What is it? What do you eat? You know, <laughs> exercise, <laughs> walks. You know, what what is your life like? How do you keep yourself on top of your game? Well, I think I'm a curious monkey. I'm a very curious person. I do feel curiosity feels a lot of passion,、um, and I spend a lot of time with young people. Even though I'm, you know, not necessarily their age, I like to surround myself with younger people because I think they naturally set up your mind in a way that is a learning kind of mode. You're always learning. You're always understanding.、Um, I also don't take myself too seriously, so I like you know. On a, on a, you know, probably see, I have mayism. I sometimes say catch twenty three or twenty catch twenty one because I can't remember is it twenty two or you know I don't really understand the phase as well because I you know didn't invent it. So I invent a lot of things. I think at the end of the day,、um, being opt- optimistic probably is my best、uh, sort of personality trait that. I was there when I fell. I was there when we had nothing. So everything is almost like incremental. You know, I always count my blessings versus going back and look at my failures.、Um, and I usually don't look back. Actually, I like to look forward. So my my thing is that I'm always saying, "How much can I do better?" Rather than "What's wrong with me?" Does that make sense? So that reality is probably a.、Uh, A, a gift from my parents, <laughs> a gift from my culture, but I also feel it's not everyone that、um, that tend to think that way.、Um, I do have a very good,、uh, I think, a very healthy lifestyle. I have to say, I、um, I exercise three, four, five times a a week. Recently, I hired a trainer during the pandemic so that I can give myself some weight exercise. But I've always been practicing yoga. And、uh, oh, I, wow. I enjoy doing yoga.、Uh, it's been more than twenty years now. So、um, we, I like to cook, Tim. I enjoy good things in life, and sometimes love made it. It's only made by you, right? So fragrance,、mm. as you know, has a lot to do with flavor. So I, I believe that my background in fragrance always inspired me to test, try new things, cooking new, cook new food. We also have four hungry teenagers、um, that we have to feed during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that is、um, so. I think cooking,、um, being with the family, and being curious and hang out with young people are the secret、yeah. to、uh, to the mindset. And finally, you've spoken a bit about grit. You've spoken a bit about how you were innovative, how you applied your own signature feel to the candle business. But we haven't spoken about luck. You know, how do you position yourself for a little bit more luck? Ah,、uh, I think it's about timing, right?、Um, I think people may think、um, when there's disruption, particularly investors, right? Investors know how to put their money. Not when things are great. Great investors invest when the stock market is down. They don't invest when it's high. Because、yeah. you can only grow so much if you invest when the trajectory is at the highest or going to the highest. 
But imagine if you can invest when it's at the lowest, right?、Mm. Obviously, you also have to settle that you can never be investing at the lowest and selling at the highest. But if you capture that upward momentum, you're in good shape. So putting yourself strategically means you have to be very good scanning your opportunity. If you're catching it at the very tail end, you have to recognize it's going to be very finite. The opportunity is going to be very finite and short term. So I'm looking at the opportunity now. For example, what is the opportunity for people at the pandemic end? There are many. You know, I still feel. Retail is probably the most disrupted. What are we going、yes. to do? With retail, all the stores that we know it, like Macy's and J Crew and Gap and Banana Republic, I don't think they're doing a great job right now. What are they going to do? How、yeah. can you compete with them? How can you replace them? Pier One is completely gone. I don't know if you remember Pier One. I they, do. Yeah. Right. They're gone. They're not even online, or they don't even have retail stores. Uh, tourism is going to change. Is everybody going back into those hotels, or people are going on Airbnb because they feel that kind of service makes them feel they can clean, they can take care of their environment versus a big hotel? I don't know. I don't have the answer, but I think you know, food is definitely interrupted. There is definitely more online and delivery than in-person shopping and in-person、uh, store enjoyment. What is the future of food delivery and food service? What's the future of、um, shared drive like Uber?、Um, what's the future of education? Now that we can all learn online, you can't say that online education is less qualified than in person. How can we optimize that so students can learn? Maybe you know. I know that speaking as a mother, I feel like maybe they don't have to study from eight thirty to four. But they can have more fun during the day, but stay in school longer versus from June to end of August they're out of school and everything they learned they give back to you know the the school. How can we engage them more frequently but less intensely on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean this is the world is opening up for anybody who's curious like you, anybody who has an innovative mindset, anybody who's passionate and listening to the heartbeat of the world and. Meishi, I really appreciate you being such a fighter, a survivor, and continuing to make a difference with your work and your book. We'll put all your details about your book Burn into the show notes. And I want to thank you for joining us on the Brain and Brand Show. Thank you, Tim, and thank you for calling from far away. And I'm so、um, happy to talk with you. You're the first guest. Or first interview in Africa, so I'm so. Oh、uh, wow! I'm、yeah. happy to be your first. Thank you so much. Okay. A huge thanks to you, May. I really appreciate you, and make sure you get her book Burn, where you can find the link to her book in the show notes. And also, please support her e-commerce platform, where she's helping women scale their businesses at yesshemay.com. By the way, what a brilliant name! Thank you all for listening. Until next time.